Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 to 17. If you haven't been here in some time, we're doing a little series on these uh, four richly packed verses which show us the various graces God works in us for his glory in order to claim us for himself and keep us for himself. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you from the beginning to be saved, through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm, Hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. had been hiking for about two hours up a mountain in the Shenandoah National Park with the promise of a spectacular view from the summit. And when I came to the vista, I was pretty disappointed. It was good but not spectacular. In fact, because of trees over here and trees over here, I didn't even have a 180-degree view. And as I'm lamenting all the energy spent doing this, I heard a voice of my fellow hikers behind me coming up the mountain behind me saying, Mike, what are you doing? Come on. The summit's this way. So 100 yards down the trail, we turned left and went out to a most spectacular, breathtaking view that left me speechless. Does your Christianity leave you speechless? Or, ironically, are you unable to talk about it? When you think about your faith, do you wonder, it couldn't get any better than this? Could God really promise me this much? How often do you think that way? If you don't, it may be that you have an insufficient view of the riches of the glories of the grace God has for you in his son. You may need to travel a little farther down the trail of blessings and look again. I tend to be fairly spiritually nearsighted. I just get focused on what's going on right here. And I don't have the destiny in view. It's one thing to be forgiven. It's another thing to be an heir of all the riches of God and to live that way. So look at the verse Paul writes in verse 14. He says, to this he called you through our gospel. What did God call you to? Just this, that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now the premise behind Paul's statement is simply this. When God gives you something, 
he shoots for the stars. He gives it all. On his business card, you know what his motto is? Nothing less than the best. It's like that person you know that when they attempt a project, they are all in. They go all out. God doesn't hold back. He couldn't give you any more than he has. Look what he's given you. To gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now what is that precisely? It means that ultimately you will be an accepted, beloved son of God secure in his family, with access to all the riches of God, living in an indestructible body that will never sin, reigning with God, enjoying his glory forever. That's obtaining the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the doctrine of adoption. In his book, Knowing God, some of you have read J.I. Packer, the famous theologian, has the most pages in his chapter on adoption than any other doctrine that he writes about, 30 pages, and he rightly calls it the highest privilege of being a Christian, more than justification, which we looked at last week. So I want to raise three questions regarding the doctrine of adoption. Number one, why does God adopt children? He doesn't need any. God was never lonely. God enjoyed from all eternity the beauty and fellowship of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. God doesn't need children. He wants them. And he wants to give his son brothers and sisters for all eternity. This is clear from the creation account in Genesis. God creates the material world, and then he creates Adam, who is nothing less than the Son of God. That's how Luke traces the genealogy of Jesus, the Son of God, back to Adam, the Son of God. Adam was created to enjoy the gifts and the beautiful presence of God himself. Tragically, he acted like a rebel, Rejecting the Father's good care. So God formed a new son, a people in whom he would dwell, Israel. Hosea 11, Andy read it earlier in the service. Out of Egypt I have called my son, echoing the words of Exodus 4.22. Israel is my firstborn son. Israel created to enjoy the gifts of God and the presence of God. Tragically, they acted like rebels, rejecting the Father's perfect care. Humanity's sin left God with one faithful Son, Jesus Christ. And if God wanted a family to give to his Son, what would he have to do? He would have to adopt them from Adam's ruined, reckless race. This is, in fact, the story of the Bible. God sent his son Jesus to win a people for himself and his father so they could enjoy his gifts and his presence. And this is probably what David has in mind in Psalm 16 when he writes, in God's presence there is fullness of joy and his right hand pleasures forever. That means every human pleasure you experience, every pleasure is but a tiny tiny 
signposts pointing to the ultimate pleasure of obtaining the glory of Jesus Christ, living in God's presence forever. The point is, God wants sons who know his glory the way Jesus does. That should take my breath away. It's part of what it means to obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't this what Jesus prayed for in John 17, 22? Father, the glory you've given me, I have given to them. What, what glory is he talking about? I think it's the glory of sonship. And here's the problem, if you hadn't noticed. That glory, though planted in us, has not fully blossomed. If you took a good hard look at me, I certainly don't reveal and reflect the glory of Jesus. I reflect too much the tarnished nature of the old man. So our adoption as sons and daughters, beloved, is already, but not yet. Look at how the Apostle John writes about this in 1 John 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. You see, he's, he's amazed. He's marveling. What kind of love has God loved us with? He wants us to be his children. And so we are. The reason the world does not know us is that they did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. There's the already. <laughs> and what we will be has not yet appeared. There's the not yet. But we know that when he appears, Jesus appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Oh, there's so much we could say about that. Scripture is clear that while we wait for that beatific vision, seeing God being like him in moral purity and spotlessness, we suffer and groan in this life. Paul writes in Romans 8, to 25, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We are certain to receive resurrected bodies. We're not in them yet. We have the down payment, the deposit, and the Holy Spirit. But the final revelation is yet to come. Jesus himself groaned and suffered in his earthly ministry. Hebrews 10, 2. For it was fitting that he, for whom and through whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory. The mission of Jesus, cast in terms of what? Bringing many sons to glory. Should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell your name, Father, to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. Jesus has been singing with you this morning. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Where is God taking earth history? Romans 8, 19, the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. 
Every tree, every blade of grass, every flower, every star, every cloud is waiting for one thing. In the fullness of time, the sons of God will be revealed in glory. They'll look like Jesus. And the creation will be set free from its futility to be all that God created to be and will return to paradise on a renewed earth. With one difference, we will not be able to sin and forfeit it. No possibility of losing it. When the Apostle John receives his revelation of the glory of God, Revelation 21, 7, he says, the one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God, he will be my son. That's where history's going. God will be your father, you will be his son. That's the first thing. Why does God adopt children? He wants, he wants them. Number two, how does God adopt us? We'll look at two things here. He redeems us and he sends us the spirit of sonship. That comes from Galatians 4, 4 to 7. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, that's Aramaic, that Abba is Aramaic for daddy. So you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Paul is saying that the mission of God on earth in Christ is to do what? Is to adopt sons and daughters. It's the goal of your salvation, to be adopted into the family of God, to share the family likeness. Paul says in Romans 8, the ultimate goal of our predestination, being chosen by God, is to be conformed to the image of his son, that there might, Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers. God wants nothing less than the earth populated with men and women, boys and girls, who look like Jesus. Little Christs, as it were. What did it cost the Father? What did it cost the Son? Well, it's in this word, redeem. When Paul uses the word redeem, he's saying, come to the agora with me. That's part of the Greek word, the agora. It means to buy out of the agora. Redeem is you go down to the, the marketplace and there was a slave trade and there were the slaves. And you could redeem one, you could buy one, you could set them free. And Paul's saying far worse than that kind of human bondage is slavery to sin. We're all born slaves to sin, meaning we owe the law of God, perfect obedience, never for a second deviating for a micro inch. We can't deviate from the law of God if we're to know God in his presence. We're slaves to the law. We owe it obedience. The law is always saying to you, perfect obedience, perfect obedience, perfect obedience. And that is in fact what Jesus has come to earn for you. That perfect obedience, he's born of a woman. That means he's a human man, just like you, to represent you before God. Born under the law, he came to fulfill the demands of the law, that he might what? Redeem you from slavery to the law. All the obedience you owe God has been given by Jesus. You owe him nothing. You're free from the law. The law cannot condemn you. Christ was condemned on the cross for you and not just condemned on the cross did not jesus also become fatherless the text says he cried out eloi eloi lama sabachthani 
which translated means, my God, my God, why are you forsaking me? Up until this point in his ministry, he's always called God his Father. Now it's my God, why are you forsaking me? Why that? Jesus is knowing his Father as judge. The Father is judging as God, Jesus, in your place because he's bearing your sins in his body. He's bearing the wrath of a holy God in your stead. And we must say, beloved, contrary to the popular notion in our culture, that we are children of God only by redemption through Jesus, not because we're born that way. There's lots of songs. We're all children of God. Not so. We're his offspring, Paul says in Acts 17. We're his offspring. We are existence to him as creator. We are only sons and daughters of the living God by virtue of Christ's purchase of us by his blood, and receive through faith. And so our precious Jesus teaches us to pray what? Our Father. We are adopted. It's the doctrine of union with Christ. The moment you believe the gospel, you're united to Jesus so that what is true of Jesus is correspondingly true of you. Jesus has God as his Father. If you belong to Jesus, God is your Father. It will never change, just as the Father will never stop being Jesus' Father. So God adopts us by redeeming us, secondly, by sending us the spirit of sonship. Again, Galatians 4, 6. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And secondly, from Romans 8.15, you've received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself, bearing witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. Now, this word adoption is important. If redeemed took you to the agora, the marketplace, adoption takes you to the household of a very wealthy man. And if he had no sons, he could adopt one of his servants into his house, make that servant a son with all the rights and privileges of the very son he never had. He would inherit everything that belonged to the father. That's what it means to be adopted. God the Father wants you to inherit everything that belongs to him and to Jesus. So we receive the spirit of sonship through the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Jesus. got to be the spirit of sonship because he's the spirit of the son of god and when jesus promises in john 14 18 i will come to you or john 14 23 will make our abode with you jesus is saying that though my physical body is forever at the right hand of god in heaven somewhere he comes to us in the person of his spirit the holy spirit brings you all of the life all of the power he brings you the presence of the son of god the resurrected exalted son of god and so the spirit wants to confirm your sonship to you just as the spirit did at jesus baptism remember when jesus was baptized he come up out of the water came up out of the water and he heard a voice saying this is my beloved son in whom i am well pleased the father says that about you if you have the Spirit. Think on that. I, I needed to do this recently. I was, uh, I was an emotional train wreck recently due to something in my life. And, and uh, you know, as my, my, my wife is just so wonderful. Honey, go to the Word. Go to the Word. And I'm where I was in my daily Bible reading, I read this and I just felt, this, I felt like the Lord just said, Mike, you're my beloved son. I'm pleased with you. 
It just jumped off the page. If it's true of Jesus, it's true of you who believe in Jesus. So look, the same power at work in Jesus is at work in you. You don't have a JV Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit of Jesus. And so the Son cried, Abba, Father, by the Spirit, so can you. The Son had power by the Spirit as he was led into the wilderness to face temptation. So do you. The Son testified about his Father to the crowds by the Spirit. So do we. The Son assured, uh, was assured by the Spirit of the love of the Father. So are we. The Son communed with his Father by the Spirit in prayer. So do you. The work of the Spirit is indispensable to absolutely everything you do in life. Last question. I should pause. Sometimes I get going a little too quickly. I guess you know that by me. Not me by now. Third question. What does it look like when he gives you the spirit of sonship? John 14, Jesus said, If you love me, you will obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and I will be in, and will be in you I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Hmm. We've just had another dimension added to our sonship. Jesus is saying by the Spirit we'll have power. Is that Jamie? Welcome back, brother. Yay. Fresh in from Uganda. By the Spirit, we love Jesus. By the Spirit, we show that love by obeying Jesus. And by the Spirit, we are rescued from a spirit of orphanhood. So I want you to ask yourself this question. What spirit rules your heart? Spirit of sonship or orphanhood? I want you to know, when I'm at my worst, it isn't because of the spirit of sonship. I'm acting like an orphan. Fearful, anxious, lustful, lazy, angry, Whatever it is, I am revealing, I am living by a spirit of orphanhood, looking like an orphan. Paul, Paul even hints that it's a kind of slavery, back to the Galatians 4 passage. Why does Paul write to Christians, and because you are sons, there's your fundamental identity, God sent the spirit of a son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you're no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Why does he need to write that to Christians? Because we forget. We don't appropriate the glory, the privilege, the rights that are ours in Christ. Sons and daughters of the living God. So being an orphan may often feel like a slavery. And let me just finish the sermon by teasing out some comparisons for you. Because I want you to recognize, oh yeah, I'm thinking and feeling and therefore living like an orphan. I want you to see the greater glory of living and thinking like a son or a daughter of God. So, for example, here's some contrast. Sons, they're constantly amazed that they're adopted into God's family and they have to worship him. They, they have to worship him. In fact, this assembly is the highlight of their week. They love to come worship with other sons and daughters. They can't wait till Sunday gets here. True for some of you? I know it is. You can tell by the way you worship. 
Orphans, you feel disconnected. You feel fatherless in this world, adrift. Sons have a deep assurance of the father's love, so you can take risks. You can accept criticism. The father loves me. (laughs) Orphans, you fear being exposed, shamed, rejected. Remember, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of love and sound mind. Sons, you live out of the reality of your new status. You are sons. And so you revel in those rights, those privileges of a son or a daughter of God. Consequently, you're full of assurance, joy, confidence, rest. Orphans, you feel lost, alone, condemned. You need desperately to find your security and significance. And consequently, potentially you become a vacuum of self-concern. Look, an orphan, all you have is you. No wonder you're a vacuum of self-concern. Sons, you delight to live for the glory of God the Father. Orphans, you feel empty because you're living for inferior glories. Look, you woke up this morning, whether or not you consciously knew it, needing to live for a glory, to find your sense of personhood in some glory. If it isn't the Father's glory, you will pursue another glory. And there's one power on earth to save you from self-destructive, self-defeating, and by definition, soul-emptying glories, and that is first live for the glory of God and then enjoy every gift he has given you. It really works. Can some of you testify to that? Sons rest in the worth that they have in Jesus. We sang last week, Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, that's my beautiful dress. That's my worth, Jesus. Orphans have something to prove. You ever been around a person and you feel like, this guy's got something to prove. That's because you can't find your validation from people in your performance, so you're making excuses, you're comparing yourself to others. You want others to know how competent, how likable, how knowledgeable, how skilled, and how successful you are. And there may be an underlying insecurity in who you are, a restlessness, an uncertainty, because you're not founded on something unshakable, Christ. I mean, no wonder you're anxious. Your foundation is subject to change. You can't control everything in your life. So this leaves you often defensive, not teachable, self-protective, guarded. And that leaves us driven by a need for approval to be right, to be in control, to be admired, to be respected, and therefore a slave. Now, there's a slavery here, a slavery to sensuality, comfort, and pleasure because you're seeking to dull the pain of your orphanhood. You need to think about that. Sons, they live as if they're deeply cherished because they are. My father will provide for me. I have nothing to lose and everything to give away. I'm free to have little. That's a son or a daughter. Orphans, greedy and possessive. Sons trust in the Spirit's power. They take risks. Orphans lack spiritual power. That's what's one of the reasons we witness so little. We care so little about the lost. We're so fearful when it comes to telling other people about Jesus. It's an orphan spirit driving that. Sons want to make known the glory of their father as a rule. And finally, sons keep things in perspective. My father loves me. He cares for me. He will provide for me. He will protect me. He approves of me, even though I don't deserve it. Orphans, when you don't get your way, you panic because your whole world depends on your way. 
no wonder you're so fearful. I th- Look, if this is true, we've got a lot of praying we need to do. <laughs> we need to go and repent. We need to ask the Spirit to show us the way we are living like orphans, contrary to our truest identity. We need to pray, Holy Spirit, witness to my Holy Spirit that I'm a son of God. That's what the Holy Spirit will do. He will tell your spirit, you're a son. When you become convinced of that, you'll live like one. And the Holy Spirit witnesses to you're a son and you'll find yourself crying out, Abba, Father, constantly. And what a marvelous, panoramic, breathtaking view you will be. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you came to adopt and bring many sons and daughters to glory. What a spectacle. (laughs) It does seem too good to be true. Maybe that's why we can't land on it emotionally. We can't land on it. So help us, help me and my brothers and sisters as we struggle I pray for our younger ones among us, boys and girls who are living at home. I pray they'd see in mom and dad something of the love of the Father. I pray they'd know the spirit of sonship at an early age and walk in all its glories, comforts, confidence, and joy. We pray in Jesus' name.